everyone. Welcome to our Zonan Canada All-Star Holiday Extravaganza. Uh, and we have an all-star uh, lineup of guests for you today. Uh, returning to the show is Rin Senpai. Hello. And we have uh, Aaron Dearden back as well. Hello. And uh, Ultra Kleistron himself, Carl Olson. Sup? So today we're doing a little bit of a year in review kind of thing. Uh, we each we we each picked uh, two or three. Uh, you know, either or more, <laughs> or more. Uh, or no, I'm gonna just think of things off the top of my head. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, you know, pieces of media or just events or experiences that really stood out for us this year, and you know, just explain why it was special and uh, cap cap the year off in a kind of uh, you know, laid back, open ended kind of way, which I I felt was was pretty appropriate. To start off, I'll just give a quick little retrospective. The year started with Canadians not being able to legally stream Sailor Moon, and it ended with Canadians still not being able to legally stream Sailor Moon. Uh, that's, that's basically it for the retrospective right there. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrecked. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, but we had really good news today on Twitter. Uh, yeah, some, some stuff's finally happening with Adult Swim. Uh, they, uh, they updated their website. Uh, with a few big announcements, uh, they finally have Rick and Morty. Yes. Yay! Cool. We all we all were patiently waited for it here. <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink, wink. Of course, yeah. I I can't wait to see what it's like. I I certainly. <laughs> yeah. Who who are these Rick and Morty characters? I can't. Who installed wait to iTunes on my computer? What is this? I don't have a U.S. account. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't watch it at my parents or other me's. I still haven't actually watched it myself. Oh, like for reals, good. I have. Oh my god, we at least have one person on the podcast that could be genuinely excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> I, although I don't get Adult Swim either, so oh. goodness knows I'll probably use the same method that everybody else didn't use. Well, we can keep our fingers crossed that maybe they'll actually stream the episodes properly on their new website. But oh my lord, that's <laughs> we hope. That's something they've never really delivered on properly. Uh, we st- we still don't really have any way of watching Night Sweats online. No no one's even torrenting it. Uh, well, no, because that's the problem. Is, is Even though it's actually come out to be better than I expected by long odds, it's still like a Canadian niche show. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Although you actually all the sh- even though you can't watch the the like the episodes with the hosted segments, yeah, uh, you can actually watch I think pretty much all the shorts on the Mondo website. Uh, if you haven't seen any Night Sweat stuff, at the very least, I strongly recommend going and checking out all the epi- like they have like seven episodes of Crack Duck on there. It's the whole thing right there. It's brilliant. Can't recommend that one enough. At the very least, check that out on the Mondo website. And then they got all the other stuff. As for the hosted segments, you pretty much have to catch it. Uh, as it broadcasts, if you if you uh, if you want to, I actually I actually had an opportunity to meet Chris and Bart, the two um, the two hosts of the show, and I'm going to have them on the show at some point soon, probably early next year. And uh, when I mentioned to them that I actually watch Night Sweats uh, every week on television, they were like they they were just blown away, like they they didn't even guess that anybody would watch it on television. <laughs> <laughs> But as for Rick and Morty, uh, I th- I think we managed to be one of the first 100 countries in the world to get the show <laughs> legally available. Uh, we may not have made the cut on that. <laughs> I don't know why it took so long. My my guess is that, you know, it seems that Turner doesn't want the show to air anywhere without the AS, you know, the Adult Swim brand to go with it. Uh, and since 
you know, that means that it wasn't going to air anywhere in Canada. Like much wasn't going to swoop in and, and air Rick and Morty. Uh, my guess is that Adult Swim Canada just wasn't getting the budget they needed to get the rights to it, even though they were the only ones who would have been able to buy the rights to it. Um, that's my guess as to why it took so long. Who, who really knows? Uh, they announced some other stuff as well. New Robot Chickens airing uh, Sunday nights at 11, and then Rick and Morty follows it at 11.30, so it looks like they're actually trying to make the Sunday night lineup into uh, into an Adult Swim original kind of thing. Um, and they also announced that Bob's Burgers and Archer are moving to Adult Swim Canada, so... So rest in peace, Teletoon at night. Uh, that you're done. <laughs> you're done. But just too bad. It was like, Teletoon at night was actually a pretty well thought out block. It's different from Adult Swim. Like whereas Teletoon at night's kind of like a buddy. You hang out, kind of gives you a laid back atmosphere of of enjoying funny shows. Whereas Adult Swim is more like the kind of weird guy you know who you think is really interesting and like being around, but he's always kind of lurking around your shoulder, always one step ahead of you. You never know what to expect from him. Uh, he freaks you out every now and again, but you still can't get enough of him. And that, that, that kind of thing is harder to nail down. It'll be interesting to see if they kind of, if they kind of get that with, with Adult Swim Canada. Yeah, Teletoon at Night was good for, for, for what it was. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen. It was better than having nothing. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. In that space. Like it was really good that we didn't just get completely left behind in the adult cartoon zone. <laughs> they totally did their own thing. And, you know, uh, they had... They had Fred and Sam Maggs uh, doing their hosting stuff, and they they were good, and I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen with them now. I mean, obviously, they have all sorts of other work around the, the media landscape, but it would be uh, nice to see them put to some kind of use on Intelligence future. They'll uh, take Jonathan Torres's job hosting Canadian Wipeout. <laughs> if you're curious what's happening to Teletoon's late night now, uh, it's not really clear yet, but uh, people who have been following this have noticed that they have uh, older superhero or kind of fandom style cartoons like Batman Beyond and Teen Titans and Thundercats and the classic He-Man series uh, currently kind of listed on their websites. So speculation seems to be that those shows are going to start airing in the late night hours instead and that Teletoon Teletoon is going to kind of target millennials with more fandom centric things while Adult Swim leans more in the comedy direction. But still no King of the Hill on either station, which is disappointing. That's just totally gone on Canadian <laughs> TV now, it seems. No. Yeah, no, I know. No. The only cartoon that I can relate to, surprisingly. <laughs> oh. Consistent, it, it, consistently the best anime on television. Yeah. <laughs> One that actually represents my people, and actually almost perfectly, which is so Put stupid and fun at the same time. No. It's a, it's a, I just wish that they were making King of the Hill in the present day. Segway to my yeah. Twitter plug. <laughs> yeah, Car- Carl and Corey, who's been on the show before, have been uh, running a new Twitter account. Current, uh, what is it? Uh, cough present day. So like King of the Hill present day, and it is just like it started out of a joke because I was like, you know what? I'm let down that I'll never get to watch an episode of King of the Hill where Luann has to explain Tinder to Hank after he finds Bobby's iPhone. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then I'm like, wait a second. Well, I don't know. Like, at first, my first thought is somebody has to have done this. It's an obvious idea. Um, and then I'm like, nobody's done it. Well, I'll just register it. And then, like, we spent a surprising amount of a weekend and DMs just Corey and me talking about different ideas. And we queued up, like, months worth of tweets <laughs> on a daily basis. So I'm following this right now because this is wonderful. I'm just <laughs> looking at it. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead and read it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I don't know. Awesome. It's, 
Yeah. It's it was it's 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 my attempt to be funny, and thankfully <laughs> I've got somebody who's a comedic genius in Corey to make sure to to, to reality check me. <laughs> well, I know I, I love the with... uh, the Seinfeld one, so I think I'll definitely follow that as well. I'm hoping that it actually gets big, and then somebody does one that makes fun of us that's actually better than ours, because that's the <laughs> best part about the Seinfeld present day one is is the one that makes fun of it. It's, I want someone to be like Honk goes to Walmart buys iPad. <laughs> I want the parody <laughs> account for my account. Uh, Family Channel's also launching a new teen block uh, that's right, being sure. headlined by the new Degrassi show that's being uh, unleashed soon. So That's the word for it. Who gets, yeah, who unleashed. Who's getting that in the States? Like I'm going to guess Netflix. <laughs> so weird. That seems to be where all, all of the DHX's stuff outside of Canada seems to be going to Netflix, whereas it just airs on one of their, one of their, uh, their, their networks here. But, uh, I just realized it, that the Adult Swim is going to lose content because they also announced, announced that uh, Hulu is canceling the Awesomes. So unless Adult Swim Canada wants to make that an original for them, that's done. <laughs> well, they, they are airing the third season of that starting in January, too, on, on Fridays. So maybe I, I'm, I'm expecting that Fridays are going to become the sort of bento box slash CanCon night. Uh, who knows? Maybe renewing the Awesomes will be one of their original bento box shows. They they have like, they're going to be like four or five of them, I think. And they announced one that's about that's like it's called the Pandas. It's about a family of pandas. <laughs> I don't I I don't really see that going anywhere interesting, but we'll see, I guess. But anyway, with Family Channel's Teen Block, it uh, you know making it pretty clear that the whole pick and pay thing, which is launching in March, uh, is going to be kind of a uh, an arms race for millennials. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what Teletoon and Adult Swim kind of do in the next few months to get their artillery loaded and get as many subscribers as possible. So uh, there was one thing uh, that came up just in the last few weeks that I haven't gotten a chance to mention yet. Uh, we've always we've mentioned a few times on this show how the anime network, which is run by Sentai, uh, has pretty much unlimited access uh, for Canadians. They can watch pretty much everything on there. Um, with no ads for free and in full HD quality, uh, because they couldn't really be bothered to implement any kind of uh, any kind of advertising structure. Well, that free lunch is over because you now they've redesigned their website, and you now have to be a subscriber to watch anything past episode one. So if you didn't watch Penguin Drum or Razafon or any of those other catalog titles uh, while they were up for free, you've missed your chance. But you can still pay. Which is uh, at least better than what Viz is offering with uh, with their catalog, which is uh, not making it available at all in Canada. And also, unlike Viz, at least Sentai is somewhat willing to work with other partners. Uh, we have Viewster streaming one Sentai title. Maybe they'll stream some other their some more of their catalog stuff as well. Uh, whereas uh, Viz has yet to even formally acknowledge that One Punch Man is streaming on Daisuke. <laughs> <laughs> They, they just... don't want to. That's like that's that's really that hurts them because they're like, oh, some we let Canada Canada can watch a Shonen title. Damn them! It, yeah, there there seems to be some kind of thing going on there where they won't even acknowledge anything that they perceive as a competitor. Maybe that'll change next year. I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any just, make any bets on that. We'll just keep bothering their reps on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just uh, keep hoping for 2016, the year of hopes and dreams. Yeah. Well, it will be the year of the Love Live movie in Canadian theaters because uh, NIS did confirm that they're giving it a run. Uh, Cineplex has it listed on their website for January 15th, which uh, I, the Blu-ray is out now, isn't it? I think it, it's in Japan out, definitely. Yeah. 
I'm not sure if NIS's version is out. I couldn't confirm this, even though people kept saying they have the Blu-ray now. Yeah, I assume but, but they I mean, imported was, but... the, Jap- the Japanese one, which has English subtitles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that fandom is like I'm sure there's a lot of people who have the Blu-ray at great expense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's going to be an interesting test because hopefully Cineplex will open it in more than like two cities across the country. Uh, so it'll it'll be good to see how strong the community really is for this show when they have the option to purchase it on an expensive Blu-ray or pirate it, yeah. uh, because I'm sure a lot of the popularity with the movie before. Uh, when it was in theaters was the fact that it wasn't there wasn't any other way to watch it unless you wanted to watch some shitty uh tam rip or something <laughs> but uh it'll be interesting to see if they uh if they bring out all the swag that came out with the american release as well like the no, card <laughs> promo codes that came with the game I'm and the really pencil skeptical. boards and whatnot i'd be so upset if they don't <laughs> they'll just give out a bunch of expired codes <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get second dibs I'm like thanks, there you go, Canada. Sorry, Ellie Chan has rejected you. My wife, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that they would do something like this eventually because I feel like there have been like delayed movie runs for anime movies in the past. I can't think of them of the dates for sure, but I feel like we got some of the Ava movies after after the U.S. got them. Uh, possibly the Monica ones as well. I I really can't remember, but that's the feeling that I vaguely remember. I never. I don't think we ever had a case where it's like the movie came out in the U.S. Then you know the Blu-ray release came out and it was all pretty much done, and then the Canadian release came out as an afterthought. At least I mean, at least it was a thought at all in this case because it really seemed like it wasn't going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just refused to say anything about it. Which I guess they wanted to like not spill the beans, I guess, while they were working out a deal, maybe. Hey, they they got like the uh the tweet they made about it was got a lot of uh engagement. It got retweeted like three hundred times or something. Which I yeah, think Yeah, was... and they finally did say something about it, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Alright, so moving on. For the rest of the episode, I've asked each of our guests to brainstorm a little bit and think of two or three things from the past year that has that have really stood out for them that they want to talk about a bit. Um, so we'll just kind of move on to that. Who did anybody want to go first? You got to lead you the host. <laughs> I'll go first then. So uh, I've narrowed it down to a couple of things that, that stood out. The first thing I wanted to talk about was a documentary that I caught at the Vancouver international film festival. It was actually the only movie that I managed to catch at the film festival. Um, it was called the sandwich Nazi. Uh, even if you have never heard of uh, the documentary itself, it's possible that you've heard of the sandwich Nazi himself, who is a bit of a... Uh, is, that, is that actually about him? It is actually about him. Holy that what? guy, the public, the, the, <clears throat> the landmark public figure who huh. uh, works out of Port Kells in Surrey here in Metro Vancouver. If you live in Metro Vancouver, chances are very good that you've heard of him and you may have bought one of his sandwiches and listened to one of his very, very interesting stories. He's kind of similar to the soup Nazi from Seinfeld in the, in the sense that you go into his store, you know, you don't really order specific kinds of sandwiches, but, uh, you know, he always – you just kind of accept whatever he makes you. But if you want any kind of variation, like you want tomatoes on a sandwich or no cheese on the sandwich, uh, you're expected to say please and thank you. Otherwise, he won't acknowledge you. Uh, also, he uh, does not allow cell phones in his store or he won't acknowledge you. He has, you know, a few – a few ridiculous rules like that. The similarities kind of end there. What makes the sandwich Nazi very notable 
is how do I put this? He is excessively vulgar yet charismatic. <laughs> he has a notice on his a handwritten notice on his door warning people that uh, this delicatessen contains. Uh, coarse language and nudity, and he's not joking. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I can only imagine how the latter got put there. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's. I don't want to spoil anything about the movie, but that's kind of <laughs> real life <laughs> spoilers one, that's ahead. It's kind of one of the big things he's building up to. So the the sandwich Nazi, his name is uh, Salam Kahil. He's from uh, he's from Lebanon. And he has a very interesting uh, story. He came to Canada as a male escort. Uh, and when you go to his sandwich, uh, when you go to his sh- sandwich shop, as he makes a sandwich, as he makes your sandwich, he will share very often graphic, but also very interesting and kind of compelling stories about his his journey uh, through life. And uh, his his vulgarity, his stories, his charisma have become you know again kind of a uh, a a Vancouver landmark if you ever come to Vancouver uh or if you li- or you live in metro vancouver and you have not visited the sandwich nazi i have to highly recommend it it is um it's an unmatchable experience and uh while the documentary itself is not particularly well constructed uh there's nothing too special about it um in terms of like editing or how everything is put together but it captures the experience of meeting this guy. He he just, whether he meant to or not, he just absolutely eats up every moment that he's on screen. That you can't get enough of him. You can't stop laughing at the outrageous things that he says from beginning to end of this movie. It's a, it is surprisingly compelling. Uh, Sal continues to run his sandwich shop despite the fact that he's been in two car accidents, uh, and you know consistently goes against doctors' orders. Uh, it's, it follows him on a journey back to his home in Lebanon where he meets his family and he, uh, and he tells some, some, he opens up in a very surprising way about, uh, about, about his, his family life. And it, it, you know, it sets him up at the beginning as this outrageous figure, which is what, you know, the way most people probably know him and adds this completely unexpected level of depth to, to just him as a person if you have the opportunity to see this movie, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, unfortunately, apparently it was uh, revealed recently that Sal himself is not very happy with the movie. Uh, despite, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, well, that's disappointing. I was just thinking, since I've never been out there, it might be interesting for me to see. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, d- despite this, I still recommend it because uh, it is kind of, you know, just seeing the movie is kind of an amazing experience. Honestly, I'm not really sure why. It might be just be because he felt that he overshared with the movie, or maybe somebody pointed something out to him that he didn't realize while the the film was being produced, which happened over a number of years. the The film debuted at South by Southwest, uh, actually, I think last year. So it might this might actually technically be a 2014 thing. And he he went and he was at the premiere, and apparently he was in good spirits and positive, and and he, he saw the whole movie in advance. In fact, they even went and blurred out some faces at his request, because he, he, he did go through it very carefully before before the actual film was released. Um, yet, in the end, he still he still changed his mind. Uh, why, it's really unfortunate that this happened, and I guess in a sense, I, uh, I, I kind of feel bad that I would recommend a movie that's not you know, approved about its that isn't technically not approved by its subject, but um, you know, I can't help but recommend it. It was one of the the one of the most unique cinematic experiences I had this year, 
And you know, I was, you know, after seeing the movie, I had to go meet the guy. I, I finally went down to, uh, to the sandwich Nazi's sandwich store, and I was, uh, I, I went through his verbal abuse, and I got this massive fucking sandwich, which was just unbelievable. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding. Like the sandwiches this guy makes, it, uh, it's like the kind of sandwich you dream of, but you don't think is possible. <laughs> like a cartoon sandwich. Yeah. Rin, have you uh have you had his sandwiches? I've only ever heard stories from a friend and it's the same friend that you know of, right? Yeah. And they go there constantly, but I've seen pictures of the sandwiches and yeah, they they're massive. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know who we've got to take there uh next time he's in town, Jesse. Corey? Yep. Uh that's what I was thinking. I think Corey would love the sandwich Nazi. This is like I this... owe him for the giant uh, pastrami that I had before I left L.A. last time. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Since I, since I said that experiences also qualify, maybe, I'd even, maybe I'll even focus not on the documentary itself, but just say the experience of going to see the Sandwich Nazi is a, uh, is a, is a notable thing in and of itself. Yep. So again, if, you're, if you live in Vancouver or you're ever in the Vancouver area, go make the journey to see the Sandwich Nazi. Uh, he is uh, he is he is one of a kind. So the second thing I wanted to just quickly bring attention to, you know, it's not something that's really obscure or anything, but it's something that I don't think is really getting the kind of attention that I think it warrants. Um, it's actually the new Carly Rae Jepsen album, Emotion. Huh. Yeah. So I did not expect that. To yeah. I, <laughs> well, you you Gosh. don't know me very well, Carl. <laughs> Uh, so the, the funny well, thing- this is of yeah. interest to me because I actually feel like I didn't listen to a lot of music this year other than Love Life stuff. Yeah. So I need some new music to listen to. It, it was funny because this year, like, almost all of my favorite artists seemed to put something out. And a lot of it was good. A lot of it was bad. None of it was as good as this album, which kind of surprised me. I mean, I actually liked her last album quite a bit. And when I tell people that, they're usually surprised by the fact that she even had an album because all anyone knows is you know, the one song that she did. And it's really because of that one sort of immeasurable hit. People are very anxious to dismiss her as a one-hit wonder. Uh, And that is absolutely not the case. Uh, I I don't think it was the best album of the year, and it probably wasn't even my favorite album of the year. But I feel it's just kind of worth highlighting briefly because I don't feel it's really getting the kind of attention that it should. I think it is without question the best pop album of the year. Yet people just kind of push it aside. It doesn't get the same kind of notoriety as something like, say, Taylor Swift. Well, that's because Taylor Swift has the army of marketing and lawyer gods on her side. I mean, the the album itself is pretty well put together. It embraces uh, 80s synth style in a way that I think is is pretty smart. It does it as as, as a very extensive stylistic choice, not just service like service level nostalgia. Um, this is the kind of album that is like really made to actually sound good on vinyl and i actually am trying to get a copy of the vinyl right now which is quite difficult uh because i don't i think there was like a shortage of them or something uh but i i I just noticed that it it got good reviews but i don't hear songs from it playing very much i don't hear people talking about it very often it didn't rank very high on cbc's uh list of top albums by canadian artists I find it really notable how much a lot of her music reminds me of J-pop. It has kind of that same eclectic construction. You know, with with J-pop, it's hard to pin down what exactly makes it unique, but it is definitely unique when it when it, when you compare it to say Western pop. Uh, I'm not all that 
musically literate, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is a better a better way of of describing what makes uh, J-pop unique. There's a genre name particularly to describe the uh, you know the Ginza centric '80s pop that is always now like f- slowed down and flipped and looped for like vaporwave city pop, and yeah, that city pop sound I think yeah. is very it's distinct from the other '80s sounds because. Um, I mean, a lot of the rest of the '80s music, particularly when you think the big, big hits um, that uh, you had out of uh, the, the what's it, uh, Stock, Atkins, and Waterman saw, like they produced all of uh, the stuff that Rick Astley did and that uh, Kylie Minogue did in the '80s, and that very that's that's very one '80s sound that people would click in as that's an '80s sound, and it's not that there isn't an influence in that in city pop, but it's in its own lane and that's partially just different synthesizers in use. Um, you know, less, less European sense, more Japanese sense, but also coming out of different uh, musical traditions. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I can, I could easily see where you say like if uh, an artist uh, is going for an 80s sound and goes for one side rather than the other, it's going to sound more J pop than say the European synth pop of the era or, or uh, in the American synth pop of the era. Because you're just different producers using different tools, and that's when those tools, you know, so before everybody had like the VSTs and virtual synthesis to give them every sound uh, in their laptop. <laughs> What's interesting about a lot of Japanese pop culture is that it seems so much of it seems to be kind of still rooted in the '80s, more so than. Uh, I feel that's beginning to shift. Like yeah. I'm, I'm like I, when I think about it, I think a lot, a lot of like anime openings in the past 10 years the it like it skipped kind of grunge and went straight to like pop punk i feel like there's a real pop punk contingent you know californian like you know green day centric pop punk and it's weird because like korea is jumping straight to like trap like they're doing like perfect one-to-one u.s you know like edm style uh trap hip-hop uh, down to then those artists jumping on like U.S. tracks and vice versa, U.S. artists jumping on their tracks, which is weird. Um, there's a there's a really great web series that one of my good friends uh, Vega is doing right now on the idols of anime, and she's covering every single idol focused anime ever made starting in the 1970s, and along with that, she sort of follows the history of the idol genre in Japanese pop music, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, and it's it's very cool to see it sort of change from, like, sort of, uh, like, a lot of a more acoustic sound to that very sort of highly controlled, you-must-be-pure-at-all-times sort of image and how it shifts between, like, constructing an idol through medium mixes or constructing an idol through tie-ins to seiyuu and anime versus uh, sort of more current supergroups, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I, 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 idol culture in Japan is something you could, you know, you 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 could have a, a research career based on that. In fact, many people do. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, overall, yeah, Carly Rae Jepsen's new album Emotion is uh, much more noteworthy than. I'm sure many people think it is, and I, I highly recommend checking it out, even if you don't think it might be your kind of thing. It's uh, especially if you're if you're into J-pop or or Japanese pop culture, you're gonna see 
I, I think you're going to see a lot of things in it that will resonate with you in ways that you might not expect. I think I would, I will, I will get that. I've been feeling yeah. synthy lately. Yeah, it's been, uh, that got me through huge swathes of my, uh, of my thesis over the last couple of months just listening <laughs> to, to that album on loop. Um, so I want, I did want to quickly highlight one more thing. It's not from 2015, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a Christmas thing. So, and oh. I, I want to keep this a little, a little seasonal. This movie is actually from 1995, and it's something that I just went back to sort of re-explore this year. Uh, and I, I've been meaning to rewatch it for a while, and I finally got around to it. It's a, it's a Spanish movie called The Day of the Beast. It aired on Late Night Showcase, uh, like in the late 90s. So, you know, it's one of those really weird kind of movies. It's about a priest who, after years of doing uh, research, devises a mathematical calculation to determine when the Antichrist is going to be born. Uh, it's going to be on. <laughs> Christ- so festive yeah. already. Uh, it's going to be on Christmas Day in 1995 in Madrid. Uh, however, he doesn't have any other information than that. Uh, and because you know the world is going to end anyway, he starts running around the streets of Madrid, uh, committing as many sinful acts as he can in an effort to get the devil's attention, so that he can find the so that he can find the exact location of where the Antichrist is going to be born and kill the baby. Uh, so you know he. The, the film starts with him running around town. He's smoking, he shoplifts, he steals money from buskers, uh, and he tries to, and he then tries his best to dive into the world of heavy metal music. And that leads him to meeting, uh, Jose Maria, who is a heavy metal fan that becomes his unlikely companion for the film. Uh, together they track down at, together they, they track down the host of this ridiculous, low budget occult television show that they see running on TV. Uh, they tie him up and try to force him to show them how to summon the devil. And that just sets off this, inc- and, uh, you know, they, they, they have to go do things like collect the blood of a virgin. Uh, they have to take mushrooms, but they don't have mushrooms, so they just drop acid instead. Uh, and it just leads, leads to this bizarre chain of events that takes place over what seems like an endless Christmas Eve, which is probably one of the weirdest things about this movie, which I guess is saying a lot, uh, is that Every moment of it feels like it's kind of veering on the stroke of midnight, uh, yet the night just keeps going and going, and the streets are always filled with people and the stores are always opened. Uh, I guess that might be my only criticism of it, is that I can never keep track of exactly what point of the night it's at or anything, or when anything's going on. I think I, th- I think it's a little badly edited in that way. But, you know, it's, it's weird, it's rough around the edges, uh, it has that unmistakable look of a mid-90s low-budget european subversive comedy uh if that's what you're looking for for the holiday season uh it has my wholehearted recommendation uh, what was even, the title again it's called the day of the beast oh, fun. If you happen to catch it on showcase uh back in the late 90s as well i'm sure the description i've given is more than enough to set off the memories in your head about it <laughs> sounds amazing it, it's actually never been released on anything but VHS here. Uh, really, the only way to watch it is to import a European version or to pirate it. Uh, but I, I recommend it. It's a it's a really unique kind of movie. Okay, why don't we uh, why don't we hear why don't we hear from Aaron next? Aaron, what uh what are your highlights of the year? <laughs> well, I have I have way too many highlights. Even though I feel like I didn't watch or read or do nearly as many things as I wanted to this year, I still have a list that's just like overflowing with things that I want to talk about for like hours on end. Uh, but I did narrow down to at least three-ish. Uh, I'll pick. I'll pick the three for now. Okay. I wanted to pick at least one anime and manga-related thing to keep us on relative topic. Um, so I picked the one manga that I actually did read all the way through this year, um, which was it's not from 2015, 
But the most recent volume did just come out, so I think it's still timely enough. It's uh, After School Charisma, which Viz uh, has been slowly releasing over the past few years through their Sigiki line. To also bring it sort of on topic with, with our talk of Canadian TV and whatnot, uh, who remembers Clone High? I do. I do. <laughs> yep. It's definitely one of my better Teletoon-related memories. Yep. Basically, the deal with After School Charisma is, imagine Clone High, except it's almost completely serious, and the premise is taken 100% super serial. Wow. Uh, so it's a it's a high school populated entirely by the clones of famous people, and they are expected to either equal or surpass the, the achievements of their originals. Oh, wow. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just looking it up right now. You are not exaggerating at all. This is I'm basically, not. <laughs> it is basically serious clone high. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and it's not the best manga ever made. I, it's far from that. It's pretty formulaic in a lot of ways. But I I really enjoy the art. It's it's a nice polished art style. Uh everybody looks well, it's uh, it's an it's a manga thing. So of course everybody looks pretty, but <laughs> they have uh very nice sort of school uniform designs. Faces are a little bit similar sometimes, but they all have sort of unique personalities and uh, other aspects of their character designs that make everybody pretty memorable, I would say. And the main draw, I think, would be they have like a major sort of mystery plot, like Attack on Titan level mystery plot of what exactly is going on in the deep, dark underbelly of this school that keeps you wanting to find out what is going to happen next. Hitler is a character in this thing. Hitler is reading. a character. <laughs> so wait, one of the better characters to actually. Hitler, Hitler. Oh my god. Yes, the, some of the clones like... involved in the series that are major characters include Hitler, Napoleon, uh, Freud, um, <laughs> Darwin is sort of a minor character as well. Um, the Japanese like, oh, philosopher EQ, <laughs> and there is one, of course, our main character is the one non-clone at Clone High. Of course. The, but the is he really? Oh. <gasps> da da But yeah, no, it's a it's a crackerjack sort of a little story, and I don't think it gets nearly enough recognition, uh, considering uh it's decently well written and it, it 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 even poses a lot of really interesting questions about the nature of identity and legacy and what the nature of cloning itself might be if it were to exist, that sort of thing. Uh so yeah, that, there's that's that one. <laughs> I would recommend you pick it up. It's coming out very slowly because I think Viz caught up to it very quickly as it was coming out, and it's only a monthly series. I think it finished last year, so it's got one more volume left to come out in English. So once that's out, you could just read the whole series, 12 volumes total. Maybe we'll get lucky and Lord and Miller will adapt it into a full-length motion uh, <laughs> picture. be <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, that would be, that would be the dream. I don't know if the humor style would would fit necessarily, though. But yeah, uh, other than that, I am employed as a daytime job at a comic store, which is partly why I was able to read the entire run of this manga. Um, but I also get to read American comics, so I read quite a few really good American comics this year. And if I had to pick just one to highlight, I think it would definitely be uh, something called Captara, which is... About five issues in, there's a trade paperback collection of the first volume with those issues coming out on the 23rd, I believe. And the deal with Captara is, uh, premise is you have a spaceship full of astronauts. 
They go through space. They have a horrible accident and crash through a black hole, landing on an alien world. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Um, the twist here is that our main character is what the author describes as Peter Parker if Uncle Ben hadn't died. <laughs> He's a very sort of wisecracking, uh, self-entitled nerd um, uh, who happens to be gay, which is an interesting twist. And he finds himself alone on this alien planet, not sure what to do. Um, and it turns out the alien planet is very much like whatever world He-Man happens to take place on. So they take this... Jesse's sold now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, tell uh, me this, more. <laughs> this sci-fi premise immediately turns into like big, broad He-Man parody, and it becomes just the most glorious thing, especially because the art style is really very unique. It's very sort of, it's hard to describe in an audio only format, but uh, it's very, what is the term I would use? Jelly like? <laughs> Everything is very fluid and uh, the ink lines are really, really interesting. Uh, they vary a lot in width and the shapes of things seem to morph in interesting ways. And there's lots of really, really creative designs all around, as you would expect from something inspired by He-Man. <laughs> uh, like, one of the best, absolute best things that exists, thanks to this comic now, is the Cat Tank, which is a giant, hairless cat with the dimensions of a pug that has ta uh, tr tank treads instead of legs and wait, a big you, basket on the top. When you say the dimensions of a pug, I'm assuming you mean it's larger than an actual <laughs> pug, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, more like it's a very squat kind of cat. Ah, okay. <laughs> like a very... and a squishy face. So, so this is definitely embracing the campy aspects of He-Man and not one of those things where they're trying to take the idea of He-Man as if it's something serious. No, no, no. It's okay. very, very <laughs> silly. The author is... Uh, this is also our Canadian content. Uh, Chip Zdarsky is a Canadian author-artist who's uh, probably best known for being the artist of another popular series, Sex Criminals. Um, and he's also currently writing uh, Howard the Duck and Jughead. Uh, but Captara is by far my favorite thing that he does. And he's he's got a absolutely very sharp and very offbeat sense of humor um, I recommend you follow him on Twitter, by the way, if, you, if you're up to following new comic artists and whatnot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it seems to be off to a really great start. The, the third issue in particular is amazing because it also contains 100% uh, more naked old Gandalf wizards and literal Gamergate trolls. Oh, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm always looking for comics that are super offbeat like that, because when you're looking through Western comics, like graphic novels, so much of it is either superheroes or somebody's autobiography. Yeah, yeah. And I don't find somebody's autobiography every now and then, but... Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I much prefer but... the, the wilder, like, it's a visual medium. You can draw whatever your imagination desires. Why keep drawing the same things that you see in real life all the time? Yeah, I'll definitely check those out. I, uh, uh, it's always nice to have something narrow the options down for me when it comes to, to Western comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely recommend picking up that first volume when it comes out. For my third recommendation that I'm going to cap it off for right now, 
I'll pick a video game that stood out for me this year. And that is a little visual novel that came out called We Know the Devil, which if uh, anybody who's watched who's watched my videos before, who's listening to this right now, uh, has probably seen my Let's Play of it, which is the experience of that al- alone is enough to put that on my list of year highlights. Probably the, the most affecting experience I've had ever Let's Playing a game. It's very emotionally involving. Premise of We Know the Devil is you have these three kids at uh, at a very, very fundamentalist Christian summer camp who obviously don't want to be there. But it seems a little off, and you're not exactly sure how at first, because the dialogue is kind of cryptic about it. They don't reveal everything right away. But they make veiled references to monsters of the week and crystals and weird incense and other things that shouldn't be at a Christian summer camp, and you wonder what the heck is going on. Um, And as you play through the story, you're occasionally given choices on how you want each of the three girls to pair off for various activities. Not not in the way you're thinking, mostly just in the sense that, like, oh, uh, do you want so-and-so and so-and-so to go and rewire this thing, or do you want the other pair to go and do it? Or who do you want to leave behind in the cabin for now, or something like that. And it's a, it's a really interesting exploration, I think, of the dynamics of friendship, especially in youth and especially in very restrictive environments like a lot of areas of the Midwest, United States. It's an interesting examination of religion and uh, adult expectations of young people. It's a really, really layered portrayal of uh, young people discovering their their queer in various ways. Um, and it, it, if you especially get to the, the true ending of the game, there are three different main endings and then a fourth true ending. That fourth true ending especially is just a, a wallop. An emotional wallop. And I won't say much more about it, much more about it than that, because you should just read it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting teary-eyed just thinking about it right now. Okay, great. So I think, uh, Rin, I think we could go with you next? Yeah, sure, okay. we can go with you next. Because we want to talk about Undertale, right? Because obviously Undertale, <laughs> for me, was probably a pretty sweet thing that happened to me this year. Okay, well, we'll go with, with mm-hmm. let's go with Rin next. Rin, what uh, did you want to highlight Okay, well, basically how I even started Undertale was I was just looking for something to start up just my YouTube, looking for something to do. And with the limited amount of resources that I had, Undertale just happened to fit the bill. So I went into it knowing absolutely nothing at all. And I left it with a lot of emotions. I'm sure most of you have seen over Twitter, (laughs) like lots of yelling and caps and getting really angry at the game. But it is probably one of the most well put games in the sense of like a story and the ability to choose your own decisions i think yeah definitely it's like for a game that only has like with <laughs> speaking of multiple endings undertale really only has three main endings and yet despite that it has like this gigantic quintuple rainbows worth of different choices you can make throughout the game and different things you can interact with and it's it affects the game in many and varied ways. And it's very, very impressive. Yeah. Like, um, I won't spoil mass effect because I know Aaron hasn't played it yet. Right. But, uh, <laughs> at the end of mass effect three, 
if anyone's listening, they probably remember something, or maybe Aaron, you've heard of this, the red, blue, and green choice. Mm, and they're I have very not. okay. Well, for Mass Effect, um, everything's all decision making made, right? You interact with your characters, you get different outcomes depending on who gets through with you or whatever. But at the end of the game, all three endings are not very different from each other, which kind of left me a bit sour about it. Because it almost feels like any any decision you've made up to that point doesn't matter because it's going to end the same way, which is kind of disappointing. Which actually was, came to with uh, Life is Strange as well, which came out this year, which was actually really good up until the last episode. <clears throat> I won't spoil anything again, but I was kind of just not happy with the ending of the game, at least the options that were present. Or at least there was one true ending that you had to go through and the other one was just very weak and didn't have much to it at all. But with Undertale, like when you get to the end of the game, it actually forces you through one route and then it bounces you back into there to take you through the other ending, which most people will, I guess, call the true pacifist end. But that's like another almost three, four hours of gameplay, depending on who you are, which is just unheard of to me. Because when I hear like, oh, this game has multiple endings, it's just like something that tweaks a little bit at the end. But this was like completely different, which... I found very impressive, actually. Yeah, it's like I would consider that like a necessary part of the game and not just an alternate outcome for sure. Yeah. And then there is also the No Mercy run of Undertale, which completely changes the game, which is actually really <laughs> exciting. And I'm going through right now. I haven't finished it yet, but just going through there, I've got goosebumps just experiencing it. It's a game that really digs deep into you. It's it's a, It's a really good story in my opinion right it's ha- it's got a huge fan base obviously it came from like kickstarter in 2013 it made like what sixty thousand dollars i think just about but it also had the um homestuck fandom following it which is kind of why it's kind of gotten out of control jesse i'm sure how, you how exactly did that happen i'm curious uh toby fox actually made the music for the uh homestuck game so oh. that might be the direct connection to it yeah, and I think but, part of the Kickstarter, some of the rewards, like, at least one of the rewards was, I will put your fan troll in the game. <laughs> and, and he was, and it was put in the game. It was canon. Not really, like, but it's there. Like, obviously not called that, but it is there. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, a lot of the tiered rewards were, you can design your own monster into there. And that was another thing. Um, one of the monsters that were created, Muffet, I believe it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Muffet is a character that was a fan or like a reward tier who became actually part of the real story and i don't know which is great because muffet is one of the best monster designs in the game yeah exactly who is the artist again she has her own webcomic and everything too yeah Yeah. i can't remember her name but she's great the design is wonderful and the other thing about the game too the music is like a plus like that is a soundtrack i will put on repeat at work or just wherever i go the music in that game is great the characters are all very different like that's that was another thing about the game in most rpgs you would just go around you would fight a thing and the only thing that made different from the next monster is just how they look like and what stats that it was programmed to have this game it's just like this monster will attack in a certain way it'll act very specifically to certain things that happen to it stuff like that right so everything is like a different encounter every time which is really really neat in my opinion and i know you've been you've been doing playthroughs of it on youtube as well yeah, it's my first, well, not really, I guess my second one, because I guess Love Live counts when I write those jalapeno <laughs> peppers. 
That's a really stupid challenge. Yeah, your, your first lo- your first Let's Play was Let's Burn My Tongue Off While yeah, I Play Love Live. Let's hate myself yeah. in front of YouTube. I, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's the second playthrough I have, um, but I will tell everyone, do not watch anyone's playthrough till you play it yourself. Then go. You'll this have is a very reason important. To, this, you'll have a very good reason to go and then go watch other people play. Because watching people's reaction to the game is actually one of the best things. But yeah, Undertale, really good game. Yeah, definitely <laughs> recommend people to try. As yeah. Game Facts have stated on their poll, best game ever, and has <laughs> drawn the ire of the internet, especially some of my friends. And I've had to tell them to calm down. And it's a really silly poll. Yeah, I, I personally have been a little off-put by the extreme enthusiasm expressed by uh, the Undertale fandom. On uh... Which I don't blame you for because <laughs> yeah. fandoms. Uh... Yeah, it, it kind of leaked into mine, too, and I've had to tell people to stop doing it. <laughs> didn't, didn't the creator also kind of subtly... Yeah, he <laughs> tweeted tweeted out himself saying, hey, pre- please promote this game in a very calm manner or something like that. He has it on his Twitter somewhere, <laughs> right? But yeah, definitely give it a try whenever you get time, and try not to get turned off by how obsessive the fandom is, even though they've just started posting basic blatant spoilers everywhere and some of the youtubers that actually <laughs> yeah, avoid tumblr before you play it for sure yeah like, i'm a little pissed off at some of the youtubers that put like bosses as the titles and thumbnails for their playthroughs like dude don't do that that totally ruins the experience of the game for others i was just gonna say i think it's it seems to be really similar to steven universe in the sense that the the fandom really gets out of control and oh yeah. it's ugly uh, and i'm I, on that note i'm kind of happy that i got into steven universe right from the beginning before everything got really yeah exactly with that thing. i kind of got into undertale too because i was kind of on the fence about like oh everyone's talking about it i'm gonna almost spite everyone just by not playing it right but at the same time i was like hey i just started youtube i need something to play so i'll give this a shot <laughs> undertale is definitely a game that someone should experience on their own or with a friend because it could be fun too before they go around and go checking out other people's things. And it's just like, you can name your video any other thing that will reference what it might be about without spoiling it for people. And that just kind of bothered me a little bit. Mm. It's in contrast to the reviews. We've had uh, a lot of the reviews for the new Star Wars where people are being, you can tell the critics really love it and they're going really out of their way to yeah. not just like giving these very general impression things. And it like, seems like everybody's being really well behaved on Twitter and Reddit yeah, like... and everywhere else. Everywhere else that isn't like a literal <laughs> yeah. internet cesspool. So it's yeah. like, you know, image boards aside, people are trying to be really nice about this. And it's like, it's weird to see that people don't get like, that should be your ethic with spoilers generally. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Sad. Yeah, Undertale. Good game. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say, I've been using the internet normally ever since the Star Wars uh, or ever since the first screenings of the Star Wars movie, and I have not seen any spoilers at all, and I haven't been trying to avoid them. So, yeah, I haven't seen anything on my end either. It's been pretty good. Yeah, I, like I, I just, I, I actually just went to see it before this podcast started, and before that, all I really saw that I wanted to avoid was like general impressions of the movie. Like, I didn't even want to hear if people thought it was good or bad. I, I wanted to judge for myself. One forum I'm on renamed a forum to what might be a spoiler, but they could be lying. So I'll just whatever. <laughs> if they if if they ruined it, at least that's a pretty that's a pretty ballsy joke. I'll give them credit for just being like, no, go to hell. <laughs> like, All right, okay, I get it. If it's anything <laughs> like when uh, I remember back during like 
the Harry Potter book release days, if it was anything like that Snape thing that happened. Uh, yeah. I, I remember when Ava 3.0 came out in Japan, people were posting spoilers on 4chan and saying things like, Mari is Shinji and Asuka's daughter from the future from an alternate time. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, fake spoilers are the best. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Oh. Now I feel let down that that wasn't, in fact, at all what was in <laughs> Yeah, that actually might have been more interesting. <laughs> but, hey, we, don't, we, don't, hey, we still don't hey, really understand. Yeah, it was interesting. Rio had maximum shinji we yeah that was definitely the best part of that movie uh but we still don't really know what's going on with that until uh we get the fourth one which we're not going to get till after ano's godzilla comes out in japan so right which could be interesting i can't blame him for wanting to, to for taking that on like you know like that's probably rare rare that a director gets a chance to to touch things like that <laughs> And uh, Shinji Higuchi, who did the uh, live-action Attack on Titan movies, is on board, too. And I uh, I saw those, and I quite enjoyed them. That was another kind of highlight this year. Well, the first one more than the second. Uh, the second was still pretty good, but it was more, you know, Ultraman-style guys in costumes fighting less cool horror imagery. You know, it was still better than if Hollywood did it, where it would all be CGI. And hmm. goodness knows Hollywood will do it eventually, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Attack on Titan, directed by Justin Lin, director of The Fast and the Furious, starring Tom Hardy. Well, Carl, remember that Remember that one Sakura Con when Dragon Ball Evolution opened, but it wasn't playing in the theater across from the event because all of the theaters, because right. they had like eight theaters devoted to uh, the, the fourth Fast and Furious movie. That's true. And honestly, I think anybody who is at Sakuracon probably vastly would prefer to see the fourth Fast and the Furious <laughs> over uh, over the uh, Dragon Ball Evolution. Uh, <laughs> I saw that in the theater for free because I worked at the theater at the time and I still felt like I wanted my money back. Yeah. <laughs> were you were you on the clock when you saw it at least? No. Oh, yeah, no, like, so it's like, yeah, you did actually lose. You're gonna be like, I could have, if I was gonna be at the theater anyway, I could have been working at the theater and not watching this movie and making money. <laughs> I got a couple oh. other things if you want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Another video game, because most of my year highlights have been video games. I don't really go out to see movies. Um, another thing that I have been playing, most of the things that I do are just video games. Otherwise, I don't do a whole lot. I was just playing this last night, actually. The second part for the reimagined King's Quest from Sierra came out. Yeah, I was never really into it to begin with, and honestly, I didn't know much about it at all till one of the Let's Players that I follow started playing it, and I stopped watching his just to go experience it for myself. And it's actually a very charming game that has this quite an ensemble cast, including like Christopher Lloyd, uh, Wallace Shawn, people like oh, that, all in there. Yeah, so really? it is. It's really cool. Star and, power for a game. Yeah, so. The acting in there is top notch, and it's one of those. Uh, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure style thing, I guess. Maybe that's what it was before. I'm not sure. Uh, ending is fairly the same all around, but it's kind of like based on your choices once again, and it's really funny, very colorful. Uh, characters are great. Maybe lots of references to like old things, including like Princess Bride. <laughs> I definitely give. Let, I would definitely recommend it to everyone in this chat and as well as everyone else because i think it might fit everyone's bill it's a really good game uh, i guess the other highlight for me was when the medley fest came out for love live because that is Yay. way better than Squ and token collection in my opinion <laughs> a long <laughs> shot 
right? Aaron did a very wonderful guide video just the other day that people should check out. Um, I, I don't know. Love like Live I is really to lacking. Die after finishing that. <laughs> uh, the game started to get kind of stale for me when I had to just do the same thing over and over again. And for me, I personally like challenges when I start playing these. So when the Medley Fest came out, um, and then you were given the option to play three songs in a row on Expert with all kinds of other things, it just made the experience a little bit better for me, mm-hmm. I think. And I got to play Expert songs, which was the big highlight of it, because I am so tired of hard difficulty. It is so boring and slow for me <laughs> at this point. Yeah, uh, until EN gets the big update that Japan got in the summertime, we're kind of limited in our uh, EX choices outside of medley festivals right now. Yeah. Yeah, what like what is the big update that's coming in the summer or that they got? Um, it, a lot of graphical updates. We'll get like actual pretty backgrounds, uh, a lot of layout changes. But the most important things are the seal shop, which will let you sell rares for stickers and which you can trade in for blue scouting coupons. Um, and the oh, other wow. one is there will be a a bunch of like daily tasks that you can complete. Well, daily tasks and tasks in general which you can get a lot of rewards for, especially a lot of love gems. Like, you can currently get a love gem a day with the with the current JP system. Yeah. At the very minimum. Yeah. Wow. That's not bad at all. It's worth pointing out that the episode where we talk about the Love Live movie has mm. surpassed the PJ Phil interview episode as the most oh. popular episode of this show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> by, uh, by pretty much every measure. So, uh, oh. yeah, I guess that... In your face, respected childhood figure. <laughs> thank you, thank you, NIS, for letting us experience this in hopefully a month from now. Fifteenth, <laughs> yes, right? Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. yeah, you better have a card for me, though. God, I need a card so bad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, most of my highlights this year were just video games. Maybe Mad Max movie was pretty good. If I don't know if anyone else has seen it, I'm sure you <laughs> yes. have. But... Yeah, that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I really hope they make a serious Oscar push with that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's for me. Video games, video games, video games, and just. For me personally, it's just been a good year for just everything that I've been doing. So I guess we will uh, head over to Carl to wrap things up for us. Um, in a general way, I've been really uh, sort of happy with just how deep anime selection is now. Like really weird stuff now gets licensed and picked up, even if it's like just streaming only. But it's just the fact that anyone, it's the kind of stuff that people wouldn't have never subtitled at all, even back in the day. Um, as a fan project so it's really great to see weird stuff like mill palm and comical psychosomatic medicine and all these other weird screwball titles i'm still uh, not sure what to make of mill palm <laughs> it makes that that's, that's what, the weirdest what is show that i don't know but the fact that it's there and i can just watch it on my cell phone instantly is uh, a, i think a really good way to make sure people stay interested in the medium because you you can't get bored there will be some new weird show that's licensed and you'll be like oh it's three minutes long and then you'll you'll watch it um and it's cool to see all that really short form stuff in terms of stuff that out out of that that was really surprisingly good uh i really liked uh wakako sake yes um which is this like show that's only little three minute five minute episodes two, about two an minute office. episodes on the two dot. minute episodes yeah. on the dot um, about an office lady going out and eating delicious-looking Japanese food and describing it, which sounds like the dumbest <laughs> show. Like and the it kind of show I need in my life. The best thing is, is it's only twelve episodes long, so you can actually watch the entire series over the course of eating a meal, 
Though the problem is, is that odds are, unless you're eating at a really nice place, in which case you'd be weird to have your cell phone open to Crunchyroll to watch the show, what? whatever you're eating is not going to look half as great as what she's eating. Like, unless Aww. you're a great chef or you know a great chef, because all the food in the show, I'm just like, even the yakitori, I'm like, that's the best looking yakitori I've ever seen. Aww. And then, of course, you have this character selling how great it is, and it just reminded me of going to little hole-in-the-wall places in Japan, and it really just beautifully captures that atmosphere. There's supposedly, Jesse has told me there's a live action. There is, yeah, apparently <laughs> a live action that is getting a second season, but it doesn't. So, it I don't I haven't been able to find it anywhere. Um, so I think it's been a really good year for like more eccentric stuff. I mean, also to see not that not only that Osamasa-kun exists, but is just tearing it up on the internet is fantastic. Like I feel like it's been a good year for anime comedy in terms of doing stuff that isn't the usual anime comedy because there's you also had my love story, which was like the best shoujo title ever if only because it's not 24 episodes of will they won't they it's two ish and then the results and i that's fantastic and uh, of course uh, i can't not say cute hot cute high earth defense club love <laughs> oh right that, i did that see show, some of that this year that show is fantastic <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like this like there was never a light season. There was always something to watch, which was always uh, good to justify the the annual subscription. Master of None was fantastic. That uh, came out of left field because there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of shows like that now that are very. It's one typically stand up comic slash actors, uh, autobi semi autobiographical series, and they're all quite good. Like Louis is. Um, good uh, Marin's good uh, but I think Master of None in part because maybe it is not just it's not just disease and sorry's control in it um, there's obviously it's a more collaborative process but then result uh, was way better than I you know I thought it was going to be alright and I came and was like wow I was this was very funny very the emotional notes hit um, it felt like a much more realistic look at New York than a lot of these other shows are a big thing that makes that show work is that it avoids like really contrived situations or uh, comic misunderstandings, which we typically expect to uh, to form the basis of most sitcom yeah, think, plots. Like it, it, they run into yeah, so no, many. I think, situ- I think the situations that they run into are entirely reasonable for the kind of things you would expect in actual modern day situations. You'd be like, "Yeah, I looked at the t- I looked at the traffic. We should be totally fine," and you're not. That's just real, and they follow through on the consequences on that um and also trying you know it's like on one hand it's like they had a first date that was in a flight and i'm like yeah but he's a he's got the means to do that i didn't that in the way ruined my suspension of uh, suspension of disbelief uh and in fact it kind of maybe if it hit anything it was maybe a magical realism note like it was like okay this is a bit surreal but in just the most in a way that i can still buy into I think the fact that they also went thematic with the episodes was really good. Uh, it let that it let these things let some dialogues that maybe otherwise would have been just like, all right, you 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 had an idea and you just kind of slammed it into a script. Um, feel like, but no, that's the conversation you would you could conceivably have. Um, I also was incredibly impressed with Eric Wareheim as a director because I would have never pinned him as somebody who could nail this sort of you know, part 70s French film vibe slash mumblecore tone. Uh, and 
the episode, like he was a fantastic director on that show. And it really makes me wonder. It's like, now I'm like, okay, I was your, your fun comedic uh, director. Uh, very interesting music video director. Though a lot of music videos play to his perceived strength of, of gross out humor and, and surrealist humor. And this is sort of like, shit, I could actually watch him direct like a drama or a more adult comedy. And I'd like, I'd be eager to see it now, which uh, did not expect to watch that show and have that response. Yeah. He still, they still convey a lot of that through his character, Arnold though. I find uh, well, I, know, my, no, my favorite is still very like smart. Ass. Oh yeah. My, my favorite parts of the show are when he gives like absolutely terrible advice to dev and dev just accepts it. And then things, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, it's because he like, is like, I like your slips dev. And you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, and that really is just like Eric Wareheim saying a line that was written by his season. Sorry. Like, that's like, there's no way there are definitely, there's been some nitpicking. One thing I've seen people nitpick is some of the acting on the show. Uh, the other thing is the fact that, uh, Aziz had his own parents on the show play his character's parents was fantastic. Yeah, I, I heard about that afterwards. <laughs> they stole. <laughs> I did see that episode. I'm not very far into it yet, but I did see that episode at least. Yeah. Oh, they just, they just, yeah. Oh, they like, they're as good as they are in that episode. Every subsequent time they turn up, they're still just stealing the scenes. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's great. It's, I mean, they're like how people are like, they're stiff. I'm like, no, they're people. They, they capture a kind of earnestness that you yeah. can't, mm. you can't convey through acting, through traditional acting, I guess. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, is like, I think people expected, expected it to be acted. And instead it was like, no, these are the people and this is how they would say these things. And I think that, I think there was a lot of that in that show. There wasn't, in a sense, the acting wasn't good because people weren't acting. They were just being hit points. Yeah. Uh, except, I mean, in a sense, the biggest glaring ex- exception to this rule is probably, for the most part, as he's in, sorry, like he's playing, he's, he's still in, he, Dev is still a character like some of his other characters. Now, to that, that extent, maybe that's like just, a maybe, heightened version of a real person. Well, heightened in some ways. I mean, it's not as ridiculous as other characters he's played or other characters he's relayed through his stand-up. You know, it's yeah, not, not, not it's in not that handy, way, but more but... like his 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 and a couple other characters' dialogue feels a little purposefully stilted, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it's supposed to be a little bit of a wink and a nod. Great great year for hip hop. Like there's just release after release after release, and it's been fun to like watch on forums as people struggle to try and even figure out what a top five would be because uh i mean the obvious kendrick Lamar's new album's fantastic but then drake dropped he didn't even drop his album he didn't even release his album and he still had two fantastic releases this year <laughs> and of course uh what what was great this year being just the drake meek mill beef and just twitter just destroying him <laughs> That, and now he's in jail because he violated Meek Mill is in jail because he violated his probation. It's like you already lost a rap beef against Drake. And uh, Rick Ross tweeted, my, my, my boy made a million on his girls tour. Oh, girls tour confirmed. Your, your own label boss is like undermining your point <laughs> and you're back in jail. And the diss song about you may win a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just I don't like I mean there's been a lot of like classic moments in in rap music regarding beefs but this is just like this is this this is I don't think there's ever been a fight this one-sided <laughs> in rap and it and it's not how you would have called it because Meek Mill was a, a battle rapper by trade so it's like this is where he's supposed to win 
And it's just, you know, the fact that it made that city councilor in Toronto norm an internet celebrity overnight. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's kind of a fun year in internet reality in that aspect. Or it's a, it encapsulates some of this change that this medium provides. Like, how... I mean, you take a look at previous rap beefs that would be like, a guy releases an album, and two years later, the album has a response to the diss track on that album. And now it's like, you didn't, you didn't show up two days? Oh, I did another one, you're dead. Like, t- huge shift. And yeah, like, of a lot of other good rap albums this, this year, which I'm, I, as a hip-hop musician, producer guy, always happy with. Like, Lupe Fiasco redeemed himself after a couple of weak CDs. Um, it's just deep. I can't even, I can't even go into all of it. <laughs> uh, I hope next, and next year, because everybody didn't get stuff out before the end of the year, I still get to look forward to uh, Tales from the Six from Drake. I still get to look forward to the new Kanye record. Uh, which it sounds like he collaborated with virtually every famous musician alive. So probably going to be good. We'll be something out of all that good times. And I think we'll have more like 2016 is shaping up with a lot of good stuff too. Uh, happy to hear, you know, like new Samurai Jack. That's not for this year, but it's good news to have this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really pumped for that. That's going to be, should be good. Final Fantasy seven remake. Yes. Woo! That's also going to be hot. <laughs> Yeah, have to, have to, oh. Also, did, I don't know if any of you guys. One saw this, Punch but... Man, yeah. By the way, I don't yeah. think we need to say it because we all yeah. know it's hot. But yeah, <laughs> that's really man. all you need to say about yeah. it. I, I yeah. was actually I was going to put a One Punch Man embargo on this episode because it's <laughs> like why why even like nothing needs to be said. <laughs> I don't, yeah yeah I don't think it's getting enough attention or hype, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. One Punch Man. It's an anime, yes. and it's oh, I, probably I, one of the finest comedic shows. No, oh, actually, you, no, are you being sarcastic? I was, I was being sarcastic. Oh, <laughs> sorry. You have a very good deadpan. Yeah, I, I'm very good at deadpanning. Damn it. But um, I don't know if you guys Got saw you. it today, but uh, Square Enix, I guess they asked people whether they would buy Persona 5 or Final Fantasy 7 Remake first, which is very interesting because there's a few ways Dude. you could look at that. Either they're thinking of us and money, or they're not confident in their own product right now. I don't know. I think that I think that uh, final the Final Fantasy franchise has definitely lost momentum over the last few years, and its yeah. lunch has been. I think a large portion of its lunch has been eaten up by Persona. Uh, that's definitely yeah. one of the big franchises now. I had a I had another thing uh, game related. Oh, sad Konami uh, went oh, in yeah, this year, yeah, 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 yeah. but it's good <laughs> to hear that Kojima is free of them, and it'll be free. very. I'm yeah, going to be very curious to back. see if he's got the same sort of like, because we've had various game producers. He's now going to when... kickstart a new franchise that is extremely similar to Metal Gear Solid, but not Metal Gear Solid, which seems to be the trend with, uh, with <laughs> these other developers. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if he's like a lot of the other Japanese developers who are let free and who follow through. Like they, they, they're, they're, they're let off the chain and then they actually make what they say they're going to make or whether it's going to be this kind of I think there's been a bit more of a zoo with uh, some of the Western Kickstarter games at points from supposedly celebrity developers. And Kojima is so Kojima. I'm just, I want to be really interested to see where he goes. I also don't think he's necessarily going to have to kickstart anything. I think he can just walk into Sony and be like, my production studio wants to make this thing. And I, and you want it to be exclusive, I'm sure. So this is what it costs for you to make it exclusive for the following time frame. This is what true exclusivity costs. 
start writing checks. I think he's he's he's, he's <laughs> yeah, in that imagine. kind of like superstar league. Um, and I'm going to be you know like the question is is was he being it's points managed or forced to like get things done by Konami that now can kind of come apart and come loose? Like is he got is he gonna have that like John Quick Felucci thing where if he doesn't have suits over the breathing over his neck, it just kind of goes just falls apart. Or is in fact he's always been able to hold it together, and now he just doesn't have to deal with idiots. Like I'm, I want to be really interested to see it, how that comes together. I also hope somehow we get if it's if besides a Metal Gear that's not Metal Gear, I hope we get a Silent Hills yeah. with all the interesting development that had been going into that. That's not Silent Hills, um, because that seemed like it was going to be the coolest thing, and then nope. I mean, probably like the most also terrifying thing, but I mean, cool, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Junji Ito was going to be involved with that too. So well, it was like Junji Ito, yeah. and then like there, who is who is the Western director? Gelmir Del Toro. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, wow. So it's like a superstar. Like you can pick three p- people who would be better, and you'd be hard pressed to think who you would add to that list. Like who else you would consult that would fit? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe whoever did that recent Krampus movie because the creature designs in that movie actually were super impressive. And I think that they would work well for a silent Hill movie. <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe that's the cheat It's like, we can't do silent Hill anymore, but we can do like a spooky, movie, spooky, spooky Christmas game. <laughs> <laughs> Rot you. Actually, Kojima's spooky Christmas would probably be amazing. That, 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 that actually does sound pretty amazing. I would, I would buy that unconditional. That's self-system. Yeah. All right, I think we're going to end it there. I-, I know you guys have all been on the show before, but uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Aaron Cerise, E-R-Y-N Cerise, the French word. You can find me on the internet just about everywhere, including Facebook at Rin-Senpai, Twitter at Rin-Senpai, no hyphen there, or my YouTube channel, Rin-Senpai, that guy. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. It's something with Rin Senpai, <laughs> for sure. And if you're a Tumblr user, I'm also on there as Rin Senpai and Instagram as Rin Senpai Selfies because I'm starting to still deal with that guy that has Rin Senpai as their Instagram account and has posted nothing on there. And I'm very upset because that's all it's been for like the last year. Sorry, I just a little <laughs> rant there. And you start a Twitter campaign to get your Instagram back. <laughs> yeah. And I need, to, and I need to flip that and turn that into a King of the Hill present day joke <laughs> yeah, do, do it do it please that'll be good bobby tries to get verified on twitter <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah speaking of the stuff that i do i am uh on all of the major services facebook twitter instagram uh tumblr and also my own dot com as carl k-a-r-l r the letter r olson o-l-s-o-n and so yeah uh all of those things uh, and also, uh, music-wise, you can check out music, which is used to wrap this show, at uh, ultraclastron.bandcamp.com. And if that's a hard thing to spell, just ultra, K-L-Y, and Estron. There you go. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, thanks, everyone, for coming on. Uh, I hope you had a good time, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, everybody. Happy holidays, right? All right. Happy holidays. Happy yes. holidays and other holiday and whatever. Other, it's all good. And other. Yeah, look, I don't care I don't care that my red cups at Starbucks are plain because they're still red, so clearly they care about the season. <laughs> <laughs>
runs red with the blood of their competition. It's inclusive of all hemispheres. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really, we were just being incredibly discriminatory to Australians who have to celebrate Christmas in the summer. Those lucky sons of guns. That's it for this episode of Zonan Canada. Thanks to Rin Senpai, Aaron, and Carl for coming on the show. All the music on this show is from Carl's album, Packet Flood, which you can find at ultraclystron.bandcamp.com. You can reach me, Jesse, on Twitter, at ZonanCanada, or by email at ZonanCanada at gmail.com. Please follow me on iTunes, and if you already do, leave a rating or review. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. See you next year. <laughs>